thankful for our Emmanuel this morning. And would you stand? We'll get started with our service. It sounded like two people were thankful for our Emmanuel this morning. Man, I'm thankful for our Emmanuel. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Brother Butler, would you open us in a word of prayer, please? as we lift our voice singing hymn number 
let's stand once again. We'll sing hymn number 23, There is Power in the Blood.
stand one last time. We'll sing hymn number 182, Wonderful Story of Love. Two.
I can tell you where I'd be Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere With my salvation up to me And I know how that would go The battles I would face Forever running but losing the race Were it not for grace So here is all my praise Expressed with all my heart Offered to a friend Who took my place And ran a course I could not start And when he saw in full Just how much his love would cost He still went the final mile Between me and heaven So I would not be lost Were it not for grace I can tell you where I'd be Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere With my salvation up to me And I know how that would go The battles I would face Forever running but losing the race Were it not for grace Forever running but losing the Really, man, it's good to be in the Lord's house today. Thank you for uh, the song, Stephen, one of my favorites. I appreciate it very much. If you would take your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, so that's in the little Johns, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to continue our thought on sin today, and then next week we'll take a break, and then uh, the week after that we'll take a break, and we may come back uh, sometime before the first of the year, but I doubt it, uh, because then we get to Christmas season, and when we get to uh, December, I like to preach about uh, Christmas all that month, and so um, this will probably be the last one to after the first year, uh, but hopefully it's this has caused us to think, right? Uh, to think about sin, to think about our relationship to sin, uh, 
and uh, the relationship of our world to sin. Our message today is actually entitled, Sin Described. Sin Described. You found 1 John chapter 2. If you can, stand with me in reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Just going to read a few verses here. Verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you for the opportunity that's ours to come together in this place and worship you. Lord, as we've, over the last several weeks, been thinking about sin and been preaching about it and challenging our, our thinking along those lines, I pray that today, once again, the Holy Spirit would take up the power and freedom to move in our midst and in our lives and in our thoughts, and Lord, that you might draw us into a closer relationship to you. Give us understanding uh, when it comes to sin and our relationship to it, and Lord, I pray that you'd help reveal uh, any areas where we are failing you, and Lord, might re restore those uh, areas of our relationship, that we might walk with you and be found in close harmony with you. Lord, we pray that if there be any here today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that this might be the day that they'd come to saving knowledge of Jesus. And Lord, if it's not today that, Lord, the seed would be planted so deep that they would have no rest till they would make a decision about it. Meet with us here today. Might you be honored and glorified through all that is done. We, bring you, we want to bring you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. We ask these things in your blessed and most holy name. So all the people said, Amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> C.H. Spurgeon, perhaps the greatest Baptist preacher in history, reportedly said, Illustrations are windows that let light into a sermon. When applied correctly, they allow the hearer to see some aspects of of the truth that would otherwise be difficult to grasp. John Milton Gregory, in his Seven Primary Laws of Teaching, writes, The truth be taught must be learned through truth already known. When studying or hearing about something that I do not know, illustrations will connect that concept with something I do know. They relate new information to me in terms of information that I already understand. God certainly understands this, for we find him communicating truth to us via illustrations throughout the scriptures, right? Amongst other subjects, and so he does with sin. And so in this message, we're going to examine four different illustrations that God likens to sin. The first one is dirt. 
dirt. I don't know about you, I like good black dirt, okay? My boys went to school in Oklahoma City, and there comes a point where you're headed down I-35, and you're in this beautiful black dirt, and all of a sudden you end up in this red stuff. Like, that's not dirt. It just kind of like divides the line. That's why, maybe that's a different nation down there. I don't know. I'm not trying to make any Oklahomans mad, because I know that's what Texans do, and that's not my point. My point is I don't like their dirt, okay? I grew up in Kansas, uh, playing in the dirt, making mud pies, and probably eating a few of them, uh, playing with my little matchbox cars in the dirt, and dump trucks, and we we had, had a little dump truck. I still have a red dump truck like this. We'd load that thing up with dirt and run around, dump the dirt. And, you know, I just, I just loved playing in dirt. It's just amazing uh, dirt. Well, think about Scripture and dirt. You know, Leviticus contains Moses' instructions primarily for the priestly class of Israel on the details of how they're to conduct the particulars of the Jewish religion, Okay. Interesting, he uses some form of the word unclean 154 times in 27 chapters. That's a lot of unclean. If you're dirty, you're unclean, right? My mom, I don't know how many times I'd come in from playing in dirt, and she'd say, you stand out there and brush all that dirt off. And then you get in there and you wash your hands. And then before we'd go to bed, you get in there and take a bath. And when we got through taking a bath, We had to go stand in the presence of mom and get the inspection, you know, make sure we got it all. So here we are. Interesting that in the book of Leviticus, 154 times, 27 chapters, is more than the entire rest of the Bible put together in Leviticus. So Moses' mind and the Holy Spirit's mind was that Israel's religious leaders should emphasize the importance of avoiding the defilement that comes as a result of unclean living or sin. Okay? The opposite of unclean is clean, right? The term defiled gives us our first clear illustration of sin, Sins like dirt, and in Psalms 51.2 we read, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It's amazing. This is David's sin of confession. This is David's sin of calling out before the Lord. And why was this so important? Because he had, been, he had, he had, admitted, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had had a major part in the death of her husband, And he was utterly filthy. And so he begins this psalm of confession, this this psalms of of seeking God's forgiveness. He starts it with, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I just challenge you that it's still right and proper that when we find ourselves in sin, that we confess it before God. And I don't think it's wrong for us to confess it the way David did. God, wash me from the sin that I've allowed in my life. Cleanse my mind of the thinking that I've allowed to come into my life. Cleanse me of the the hatred that I've allowed into my heart. God, cleanse me, wash me. 
as I would go to take a shower after working hard in a, a hot day out in the dirt and the muck and the mire, and I go to that shower and I use soap, praise God for soap, amen. I'd use soap and I'd wash and, and wash my hair and, and cleanse myself and step out a different man than what I stepped in. So spiritually, many times we need to stop and say, God, wash me thoroughly. Don't miss any of me. Wash away all of it. I don't want any to linger in my heart. I don't want to return to this place. I don't want to go back there for I realize how wicked it is. God, wash me thoroughly from my sin. We're not careful. Sin that defiles us and makes us unclean, we can allow it to maybe be cleansed from the outside, the appearance, but not on the inside. So that illuminates the fact that sin dwells inside and outside. When we cleanse ourselves spiritually, we need to ask God, wash me thoroughly inside and outside. That's why separation alone will never make a man holy. In reality, it will only produce a clean-looking, pharisaical sinner. We all still carry in our hearts the inborn tendency to sin. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 11, we read, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, is defi this defileth a man. No matter how clean I make the outward man, there is still the inward man that battles that desire of sin. So we need to cleanse ourselves. We need to seek God's cleansing when we are dirty, when we are filthy of this world. The second thing that I think we find as an illustration in Scripture is weeds. Weeds. I don't care for weeds. I don't like weeds. I'm not a gardener. But I grew up on a concentration camp where my mom was the warden. And during the summer, it was required at the Metzinger household that we would get out and work in the garden. I think more gardens and less toys, TV, and video games would do all of our kids in America good. The sweat. To learn the value of sweat. I still like the sweat. I enjoy a good day of working and sweating. And then I feel like, man, that's been a good day. I've sweated. I've gotten dirty. I feel manly. Well, I sweat too. I sat there playing the video game and I got so excited. And, and I, no, no, no. I'm talking about really sweating, really working hard. So back then, they didn't have child labor laws. If they did, they ignored them at the concentration camp I grew up on. We would all get up and help with the garden chores. I remember one time we had a, a, a student from Bolivia stay at our house. And we got up one morning, Mom says, Okay, Jose, uh, we're all going to the garden to work. And he goes, No, me not here to work, me here to study. He goes, You're living in this house? You're here to work. Now get out in the garden. I mean, that's how tough that warden was I grew up under. So we went out and we worked in the garden. There were chores to be done. There was planting when it was time to plant. Amen. There was picking 
when picking needed to be done and when those things weren't necessary, there was always weeding that had to be done. I hate weeds. It seems that weeds grow overnight. Have you ever noticed that you, you walk along, you go, oh, well, there's a weed, and you reach down and you pull it, and you throw it away, and you come back a couple of days later, you go, I, I pulled that weed. Why is that weed back? Because you've got to get it way down in the root. Some people like to say, you know, we've got some stragglers out here in our medians, and, um, you know, you can take and clip those off, but that really does no good. You've got to kill it, right? So you've got to try to figure out a way to, to pull those weeds out of the ground so that you can get the root out. So is sin. We're going to properly deal with sin. We need to get it at the root. We need to get it at where it begins. Matthew 13, 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And so some good seed had, had fallen to the ground, but these thorns, they just sprung up and they killed that that was good. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, 1. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The sin has to be dealt with. It has to be taken out of our lives. It has to be thrown away. In order to get green beans so we can... So we can get them to grow, we have to till the ground, we have to plant it, we have to put the seeds in, we have to add water, and then we have to weed it, we have to care for it, we have to watch them grow, and then we pick them, and then we go to the house and we, we snap them, and then we can eat them, right? But weeds, you don't have to do anything. Weeds just grow. And they grow where you don't want them to grow, right? I mean, that's, that's always the way I have it. No effort was needed, they just appear. For us to deny and turn from sin requires that we develop character. Character, not that you need to become a character, although some of you are. But we need to develop character. An evangelist named Dennis Corley wrote this about character. He says, character is telling yourself, yea, even forcing yourself to do the difficult things that your childish, lazy, undisciplined, immature self does not want to do. I like that. I mean, that's just kind of blunt, isn't it? Oh, and I'm sorry, we live in woke America. But it's not woke in the pulpit, okay? So let me hit it one more time. It's telling yourself, yeah, even forcing yourself. To, really, I ought to have the teens write this down, right? But anyhow forcing yourself to do the difficult things, like getting up when your alarm clock goes off. Huh? Difficult things like, you know, telling your childish, lazy, undisciplined, immature self that doesn't want to do it to do it. This is where many of us fail. We become complacent, easy to get along with. We don't have time to worry about that. An old statement still true. The path of least resistance makes men and rivers crooked. I like that. The path of least resistance makes men and rivers crooked. Sin is easier for a time anyways, but the result is always a crooked life. If you've never dealt with weeds, 
if you've never dealt with pulling the weeds, if you're never dealing with that, then the character's lacking in your life. Weeds need to be taken care of. Weeds need to be pulled. Weeds need to be gotten rid of. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. See, the root has to be gotten to, and the root has to be pulled, and the root has to go. To remove sins means that we need to get to the root of the problem. Just pulling them once in a while and asking God to forgive us and then going on about life means that we'll just be back there again some other time pulling the same weed. The third illustration from Scripture today is that of slavery. Now, I've never been a slave except to sin. Romans 6, 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were, were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So the language sense behind this is that we used to be servants of sin. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a used to be. I used to be a servant to sin. It was a natural byproduct. It just naturally came into my life, and I didn't even feel guilt for it. Even if I went to church once in a while, I still didn't feel guilt for that sin because that's who I was. I was enslaved. I was a slave to sin. I was a servant to it. Now, as a saved sinner, I realize that I'm born into this world with a sin nature that since our salvation, we have a continually to fight a battle against that nature of sin. We will constantly be servants to sin if we do not fight the battle, if we do not labor against it. The scripture tells us in 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practice, cursed children, And then Proverbs 5.22 says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Might be easy for us today to say, you know, 2 Peter 2.14 there talks about having eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of a lot of things in this world. Adultery, lust, covetousness. And then Proverbs knocks it out of the park with 5.22, being holden with the cords of sin. Christ is our only hope to break the chains of sin. It is through His power that we can live victoriously in this life as conquerors over our sin nature. It's said of the great Billy Sunday that when he preached, no matter the sermon, sermon, he always had his Bible open to Isaiah 61.1, which reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound. Aren't you thankful for a God like that? God who cares about us and loves us. And though sin is a part of our old nature, He is there to wash us away from it. He is there to forgive us then. 
Uh, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. He is uh, that God who loves us, who cares for us, who says, I'll save you from your sins. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll help you fight sin. I'll help you to be a conqueror of sin. I'll help you to be victorious in your Christian life. In other words, we don't have to live being beaten up all the time. We don't have to live saying, man, I just, this besetting sin of mine. I just can't get past this besetting sin of mine. Maybe you're not trying hard enough. Maybe there's someone who could help you beat that sin. We know that God is the answer, but maybe you need someone else to come alongside to help you. Maybe you need some counseling to beat that sin. But there's no reason to live a non-victorious life. Every child of God ought to recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring us liberty, to give us freedom from the power of sin. I love it. He ends verse 1 there. To the opening of the prison, to them that are bound. After salvation, we're labeled by Paul as those that were the servants of sin. That's a past tense. Hallelujah. I was thinking about it as I was at this portion and, and thinking to myself, I thought of a, a few songs that came to mind, like, I was once a sinner. Man. Once I was a sinner. I don't have to say that I live there any longer. Not that I don't fall back once in a while into sin and have to confess my sin, but I'm not the sinner I used to be. Gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful that my sins are gone. I'm so thankful I don't have to stand here today with some kind of placard around my neck uh, I'd have to wear it everywhere I went that listed the sins that dwelled in my life or that maybe even have happened in my life this week. Could you imagine that? We all had to carry a little placard around of, of what our sins were this week. And I'm glad we don't have to do that. I'm glad that when sin comes into our life that we can take the sharp knife of the Word of God, amen, and we can cut that sin out of our life we can seek for his cleansing from that sin, and I don't have to walk around full of that sin anymore. It's gone. It's been washed away. Hallelujah. One of the greatest lies of the devil is that sin is freedom to do as you wish. Well, that's a lie. Sin is slavery. Sin is slavery. Whether it's drugs, Money, alcohol, uh, pornography, all those things, all those things are slavery. Many a great man and woman's been destroyed through the slavery of sin. You don't have to live there. The fourth thing is disease. You know, there's nothing like being sick. I hate to be sick. I've got some friends, my wife and this other woman. They make fun of guys who get sick. It's life or death when I get to the point that I have to hurl. I don't mean to be off color today. I'm just telling you that's a point of life and death. I, I think Jesus may be coming. 
They, they would have the, they've had the, the opportunity, they would even mock that a guy would have to go through such a thing. It's so horrible. But we're not just talking about a cold here or the 24-hour whatever. We're talking about disease. In 2020, we walked that road. You know, my wife did. Um, I know Miss Pam's walked the cancer road. I know we have others here today walking that cancer road. We have others walking other roads of disease. And when you're dealing with a long-term illness, it's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible place to be. You know that sin is as long-lasting as life? Unless we get the antidote for sin, which is Jesus Christ. Isaiah opens his book with these words, verses 4 through 6, Isaiah chapter 1. A sinful nation, that's America today, a people laden with iniquity. We could pull that into our church today. A seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the law, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Some have walked away from God, not wanting anything to do with Him. Verse 5. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and petrifying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither moldify with ointment. Word of God is there to help us with the disease of sin. It affects every part of man. Check this out, okay? It, checks, it affects every part of man. Eyes full of adultery, 2 Peter 2.14. With the eyes, covetousness, Jeremiah 22.17. With the eyes, adultery, Ezekiel 20, 24. With the eyes, evil, Mark 7, 22. How about the mouth, full of cursing and bitterness, Romans 3, 14. With the mouth, speaks iniquity and deceit, Psalms 36, 3. With the mouth, it pours out evil things, Proverbs 15, 28. And then if that wasn't enough, our tongue. Our tongue is deceitful, Romans 3, 13. It's poisonous, James 3.8. It's full of mischievousness and, van and in vanity, Psalms 10, verse number 7. How about our ears? Our ears are dull of hearing spiritual things, Matthew 13.15. Our feet, our feet are swift in running the mischief, Proverbs 6.18. Our mind, our mind is reprobate, Romans 1.28. Our mind is corrupt, 1 Timothy 6.5. Our mind is blinded, 2 Corinthians 3.14. Our understanding is darkened, Ephesians 4.18. Our conscience is defiled, Titus 1, verse 15. Our mind is seared, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 2. Sin is ever about us. The disease of sin runs rampant in our lives, and we must learn to control it. Go to the great healer who can heal us from that disease of sin. 
One of the clearest examples of the disease of disease in the Bible is leprosy. It was an almost incurable disease. It was disfiguring and highly contagious. Matter of fact, when you read the scripture concerning uh, leprosy, the lepers had a certain spot. They had to walk on a certain side of the street. And when people would come near, they would have to holler out, unclean, unclean, unclean. It was an automatic separation that happened between them and good people. I can't imagine that. Uh, you know, I, I'm a guy, I, I need interaction with people. I feed on that. I can't imagine being separated away. But, but it's one of the examples given. It was very disfiguring and highly contagious. Israel's priests were the ones that were involved in determining who was and who was not actually healed of the disease. I don't know that I'd like that job, Brother Chuck. You know, wake up in the morning, you go to the church door, and there's like 10 lepers. And you have to get close enough to inspect them. And remember, it's highly contagious. But you have to get close enough to inspect them to determine, are they healed or are they not? Why would religious leaders have a say in the treatment of of, or handling of and the curing of this horrible disease? Because it compares in so many points with sin. When Jesus interacted with the blind or the cripple... He simply told them that they were healed. He would have them maybe make a mud paste, put it on their eyes, go wash, and they would be healed. But when it came to a leper, when a leper would come to Jesus, Jesus would say to them, you're cleansed. Go and show thyself to the priest. Leprosy is likened to sin. In this fact, that sin... Is incurable without Jesus. Really, leprosy was incurable without God intervening on behalf of the leper. Sin is incurable without the intervention of Jesus. Until Jesus cures us, we are not cured from sin. We might turn over a new leaf. We might think we're going to live a good life. We might think we're going to do some positive things and have some positive attributes that are going to contribute to society and maybe even make us a better person. But until Jesus cures us, we are still dealing with sin. He is the only solution to sin and its debt. That's the thing that makes sin so hard is that it contains a debt. A debt for sin had to be paid. Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. And I want to say with Paul, of whom I am chief. I didn't deserve to be saved, but I'm thankful that I'm saved. I was a sinner, hell-bent, and I deserved hell and the lake of fire. I deserved those things. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, came to this earth and walked among men. He didn't, in, in all points, tempted us, but he never failed. He didn't deserve to die on the cross. I deserve to die on the cross. But he went to the cross in my stead. And there they crucified him and he died for our sins. For our sins and the sins of the entire world, he died. The question's been asked, Preacher, can anyone sin so much that they cannot be saved? I say the only sin that could be committed 
is the sin of refusing to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm glad He's a whosoever God. Whosoever shall call upon me shall be saved. I'm thankful I look back to a point in time where I got on my knees and I cried out and I said, Jesus, save me from my sins, and He saved me from my sins. My mom couldn't do it for me. My dad couldn't do it for me. The preacher couldn't do it for me. My brothers couldn't do it for me. No one could do it but me. The fact that I had to ask Jesus to forgive me, and no one could forgive me but him. It's a personal relationship. He's the only solution to sin, and it's death. Without him, we are doomed. With him, we can be clean. How is sin in your life? Christian, is sin a horrible thing? Something you don't want to allow in? That may slip in from time to time, but when it does, you're quick to confess it and get it out. Our sin kind of like one of those things that we bring in for a while and we love on it and we encourage it and we encourage it and we encourage it and all of a sudden we go, I, I shouldn't be here. I need to push this sin away and we try to... We try to get away from it, but we leave maybe some remnants to invite it back again. Listen, sin is very dangerous, Christian. It shouldn't be a part of our life. It's something we ought to push away, something we ought to push away from. A a Christian cannot live the victorious Christian life and live spiritually and involved sin in their life and think they're living a victorious Christian life. It must be cut aside. Sin must be cut out. They took my wife in for surgery. We knew that the cancer had to come out. We knew that the kidney had to come out. And I still remember, you know, they, they, had to, they brought her back because she wasn't breathing well. And they said, well, we're just going to send her the ICU. And I said, so uh, when she starts breathing well, then can we go back for surgery? Well, we probably want to send her home. I said, if you send her home, she's not coming back, okay? So the next day, praise God, we were able to go back in. They were able to do the surgery. They got the cancer out, and then the healing began. The healing, the work of healing. Sin needs to be dealt with the same way. It's got to come out. It cannot linger in our life. We cannot allow it to dwell in our life, in our thinking, in our heart. It needs to be purified out of our system, washed away. There are times that I go out and interact with people wearing a mask. I was interacting the other day with a guy who had a mask on. And uh, he said, you know, I, I haven't had COVID at all. And I attribute it to wearing my mask. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's great. That's what you want to attribute to? That's great. Wouldn't it be great if there was a mask that we could wear that would separate sin off of us so readily? We could just have them here at the back door as you left. Here, take a mask. This will keep the sin off all week long. Wouldn't it be great? But that's not the way it works. Just as cold and flu season, we're told to wash our hands and, you know, all that good stuff, which is important. Just as we're told all that when it comes to sin, we need to keep very short lists. 
every morning, every night, we ought to start those times in the presence of God by saying, God, help me today not to live in sin. Help me to see it. Help me to acknowledge it. Help me to deal with it. Help me to get it taken care of. I don't want to live the day living in sin. God, help me to see it. Then at the end of the day, we ought to pray, God, if I missed it, show it to me. I, I don't want sin in my life. I want to go to bed with a clean, pure heart. I want to go to bed knowing that if you were to come right now, I'm ready to meet you. God, I want to be clean and pure now. Deal with sin. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just do his work in our lives and our hearts when it comes to sin. Help us to keep short accounts. Help us to keep uh, sin dealt with. Help us to continue in a good, faithful walk with you. We love you. We ask these things in your blessed name. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to sing 471. If God spoke to your heart, would you come? Whatever you're doing. Search me, oh God, and the Lord. It's good to be together today. A few things from the bulletin as we dismiss. I want to thank you for the help with the team fundraiser. We ended up 
right around $1,600 uh, with that. So thank you. Uh, we'll be having a, a, at least one more fundraiser uh, before they go to camp in June. Uh, we're going to have a guest speaker next week. Brother Martin Coon's going to be with us. We're going to be acknowledging our veterans. So we encourage you to plan to be with us for that service. And then on the 14th, Monday the 14th, I have this to read to you. Um, it says, uh, the homeschool co-op uh, would love to invite the senior saints to a Thanksgiving luncheon with us on the 14th at 1130. We decided to do something a little different since sometimes we end up with multiple Thanksgiving dinners. So we're going to do a Thanksgiving luau. Awesome. I know, I, I know, kids these days. Pull out the floral shirts, put us on the calendar, and get ready for some good food and fellowship. And so, as seniors, we encourage you to come. Uh, those up in their 50s on up to 60s, 70s, 80s, you're all encouraged to come. Uh, we will need some kind of an idea as far as RSV. And uh, so, if you could maybe let Brother Chuck know uh, by next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, that would be great. Uh, youth rally on the 18th, information there. Lord's Supper, we'll be uh, having that on Tuesday, November 22nd at 7 o'clock. Encourage all church members to be here for that. Uh, Christmas missions offering, December the 4th, uh, to help support our missionaries. And then a Christmas program on the 11th. Looking forward to that. The choir will be uh, performing. They've been working up a new cantata, and uh, it'll be very good and encourage you to be here. That'll happen at 1030 on that Sunday. Good to be in the Lord's house today. God bless you for being here. Let's close in a word of prayer. Brother Potts, would you lead us, please?